Good morning, everybody. So wonderful to see you this morning. I'm excited to read some passages from the Bible with you and talk about them for a few minutes before we have baptisms. So will you just join me in a quick word of prayer as we get started with a little Bible study? Let's pray together. Dear God, we appreciate how you speak to us uh, so much, Lord. Through your Holy Spirit, you lead us and guide us. And we know that the primary way you do that, God, is through the Bible, through your speech in written form. You make it believable to us, and you make it applicable to us. And so, God, we pray that this morning as we read a few verses, that you would do that thing you do sometimes, God, where we read a verse And perhaps it's even one we've read before, but this time you use it to speak to us, God, to to instruct us and guide us and help us to live more like the living people that you've made us, more in tune with you and ready to make a positive impact on our world. We pray that you'll be glorified in our hearts as we read your word and think on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you move towards peace in a situation? When I was 19 years old, I served on a criminal jury. And as you probably know, when you're on a criminal jury, the goal is for all of you to come to a unanimous conclusion about the innocence or the guilt of the person who's on trial. And in my case, on the jury I was on, that was not a smooth decision-making process for us. In fact... On the first day when we went to the deliberation room, we were like, let's just figure out where everyone stands before we even get started. And six of us said, innocent. And six of us said, guilty is charged. Perfect split right down the middle. And in the days that followed as we met in this room and attempted to come to a unanimous conclusion about the innocence or guilt of this person, those conversations, they weren't always friendly. They, at times, moved beyond just a passionate discussion about the case, and at times, they were more like just arguments, more like we were just trying to make the other side look foolish for thinking what they thought about the case, rather than actually attempting to argue reasonably for the innocence or the guilt of the person. And to my shame, I was part of that quarrelsome atmosphere in there that happened at times. I remember I was sitting next to a woman who uh, she said at some point, she said, okay, fine. I don't think she's guilty, but you know what? I still wouldn't want to live with her. And I was like, "Um, well, we're not here to decide if we want to live with her. We're here to decide if she's guilty of a crime. And my side loved that one. We burst into laughter at this woman, and of course, as you might imagine, she just glared her eyes at me and just dug her heels in even deeper in her position. And so, when we find ourselves in these types of quarrelsome situations in life where it's just so easy to launch into the argument, to go beyond just like a, a passionate discussion and kind of start to defend our ego and try to make the other person look bad and maybe belittle them. How can we move those types of scenarios towards peace? Because even though it's easy and natural to just go straight to the argument and be totally fine with staying there, 
There's something inside of us that knows that we're called to be agents of peace, that we're called in those situations to, to do what, what we can for our part, to try to move those situations towards peace. Because we have peace with God, and he calls us to have peace with each other. And so if you have a sibling like I've had at times in my life who you just tend to get in arguments with every time a particular topic seems to come up, there you go, the name-calling, the defensiveness, the anger. Or, or if you are um, working on a group project for school maybe, don't you love those group projects where your grade depends on other people? And the group can't seem to agree on the best way to work on that project. And there's this long passive-aggressive email thread where you just keep laying into them for not getting their act together. Or, or uh, maybe when we find ourselves uh, with a new manager at work who doesn't know a thing about the company but is determined to tell us the direction we're going and the best way to get there now that he's arrived. And every time the two of you talk, your temper flares, your blood boils, and you just want to set them straight. When we find ourselves in these types of situations that we all do, how can we start to move towards peace? And one of the ways the Bible tells us to do that is to actually consider our own desires in those situations. Because to actually ask ourselves, um, what, do, what am I trying to get out of this situation where it's so easy for me to, to fight with my words? What do, I, what do I really want from this? Because what, what, what tends to happen is that when we find ourselves in those tense disagreements, we tend to just assume that our desires are perfect. It's like, of course, I just... I just want what's best for everybody. That's why I get so riled up. Because I just want my brother to know that he's wrong. <laughs> and he's going all over the place telling people his opinion on this subject and making him look like a fool. And I'm his brother. So of course I get a little sharp with my words when that topic comes up. Because I care about him. We just assume, you know, well... <laughs> Um, the reason that I'm so passionate about this, this group project that we're working on, to the point that I'm willing to say things in this email that aren't very nice, is because I want to get an A, and I want everyone in here to get an A, and I want us all to go to the best grad school. Who can argue with that, right? And, and we say, look, I want the company to make money. And I'm watching day after day as my manager starts to drive this company off the cliff. That's all I want. I want the company to do well. And yet what we will often discover when we're, when we're, when we're in these quarrelsome situations, it's so easy to just send the, the, the zingers out of our mouths, is that when we take a step back from the situation and we actually examine our desires for just a moment, Sometimes what we find is that our desires in the situation, they're not as pure as we think they are. So we're continuing the series, as you heard Pastor Tim say, in the book of James. And we're going to pick up in James chapter 4 this morning. And we'll start reading in the first verse of James chapter 4. They'll put the, the verses 
on the screen behind me. And as we start reading here in uh, chapter 4, listen to how James tells us that we can move towards peace first by actually considering our own desires, okay? He says this, starting in verse 1. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers the question. And he says in so many words, it's your desires. He says, you desire, so you murder. Now, that's probably a metaphor. He's using that word to show them how serious the anger that they let take root in their hearts is in the eyes of God. He says, you want something out of that quarrel so bad that you let it drive you to this anger, this hatred for the other person. Or maybe you would like to see them dead, even though you wouldn't do it. And he says, this is where it's coming from. He says, you covet. That's another desire for something. You want a result from the quarrel that causes you to fight and quarrel. And then the last thing he says is, even when you do ask God, have you ever gotten so desperate in a quarrel that you're asking God for it to work out in your favor? He says, even when you pray for the result in the fight that you want, God's not answering your prayer because you want it for the wrong reasons. You want, you have bad motivations. In other words, your desires, they're not as pure and perfect often as you automatically assume they are when you find yourself launching into a verbal fight. And if you're willing to take a step back, what we'll often find is that that's true is that while certainly you you want your dear brother to stop being wrong on that issue and embarrassing himself, maybe you take a step back for a moment, God will show you that what you also really want is for your brother to know that you're right. Because it feels really good to be right. And maybe you're an expert in life, and in most areas, almost nobody questions you. But your brother doesn't care about your job title or your reputation. If he thinks you're wrong, he just tells you, and it boils your blood. Maybe maybe one second and you realize, you know what? I do want everyone in this group project to get an A, but if I separate myself from the situation for a moment and let God speak to me, I see that what I would really like is control, that I hate the feeling of being in a situation where my future is impacted by the decisions and choices of others. And I need to feel that I can control the outcome so badly that I'm willing to think and say the most awful things until I can regain that sense of control. And maybe you really do care about like your company making money, but when you analyze it for just a second, you realize that, you know, when the company makes money, I make money. And I've grown very accustomed to this comfortable lifestyle that comes from this good job. And that's not bad, 
But Lord, I know that if I am so fixed on maintaining a certain level of comfort that my income provides, that I'm willing to sin against my manager with my words and thoughts, that's probably not the best desire to allow to dictate my behavior. When I was in high school, I kind of had a falling out with a friend. I didn't actually know I had a falling out with him. We'd had some uh, disagreements, but I thought we were still cool. Until one day at school, I saw this friend, and I attempted to say hi to them. And uh, they just so happened to be kind of looking the other way at that moment, you know. And I didn't really think anything. The same thing happened the next day and the next day. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. They're not, not seeing me. They're mad at me. They have beef with me. They're holding something against me. And so me and uh, all of my high school wisdom, I decided, you know what? I got beef with them too then. I don't have to talk to them either. And so, of course, I stopped trying to say hello. And when I saw them, they didn't have to look the other way because I wouldn't have even noticed. I was looking the other way already. And uh, this went on for a number of months, and I was perfectly fine with it because two can play that game. And so one day I was having my quiet time with the Lord, and he kind of brought that issue up. You know how that happens sometimes? Where he's like, yeah, are you living it, though? And I was like, oh. But my initial response was, God, please, don't, don't make me try to go silent quarrel, if you will, that I'm having. I really don't want to because I'm so hurt and offended by them. But as I sort of communed a little bit with God there, he kind of showed me that, you know, Luke, you're really concerned about the social fallout that could come. If you try to go and try to mend the gap here with this person and they're not interested, you're afraid that you're going to feel hurt and you're going to look stupid. And I kind of felt like you said, you know what, Luke? Looks like something's bothering them. Why don't you go take care of them, and regardless of the fallout, I'll be here to take care of you. And I was like, oh, he won. He broke me. So sure enough, I go, to, I go up to this person the following day at school, and thankfully it wasn't a big deal. We squashed it immediately. We, we talked about some of the disagreements we'd had briefly, and, and, um, and everything was good from, from, from then on. And I think what this passage is reminding us is that when we find ourselves in these quarrels and these arguments that are so easy to just spring-load us into a fight, whether it's a brief one in the moment with a stranger that we're passing at the store, or whether it's an ongoing dispute with somebody, if we're willing to not just assume that it's the other person's fault and that all we want is the best, but to actually let God analyze what we're trying to get out of the situation, He may just show us what we really want, and he may lead us into something so much better. He might remind us that, you know, there's there's worse things than someone thinking you're wrong. Because sometimes we're all wrong. And only God is always right. And so as much as it hurts when that topic comes up with your brother, why don't you take a dose of humble pie and just say, you know what? I disagree, but you could be right. 
Uh, Maybe when we go before the Lord, he shows us that while we long for control in that situation with our group members, maybe God says, hey, little reminder, you'll never be in control. But I am in control. I'm God. And if you're willing to simply do what I call you to do each day and let me handle the rest, you'll see how much better it is to let me be in control. And maybe he says, you know what, there's nothing wrong with the the comforts that your lucrative job has provided you with. But let me remind you of the ultimate comfort of life, the comfort of knowing Christ and spending eternity with him. And let that lead you into behaviors that honor and glorify me because you come from a place of peace with me and you're able to extend that peace to others. Sometimes this even helps me, sometimes this even helps me when I think about politics, you know? Sometimes I think about politics, I know you would never do this, but sometimes I think about politics and I get kind of riled up. I get kind of angry. You know, I hear something and I'm like, no, it shouldn't be that way. And I wish I had one of them here right now so I could give them a piece of my mind and tell them how, how the country should be run. And what kind of helps me to calm down and my blood pressure to decrease and me not to feel like I just need to tell someone off is I kind of ask myself, like, look, what are you hoping to get out of convincing everyone to vote exactly the way you want them to vote? I'm like, well, the world's going to be a better place. Right? We all think that. And I think, yeah, yeah, it is, Luke, but assuming the world became this wonderful place of peace and safety and happiness because everyone votes the way Luke Pamplin tells them to, wouldn't the world still be lost? Wouldn't the world still need Jesus? So maybe, Luke, maybe you should put your primary desire on seeing Jesus rule the hearts of everyone in the world. And when that's the aim and the strongest desire you have, and it does, it helps me. My blood pressure goes down. I remember this world's not my home, but that God is enough and that he is changing hearts and minds from the inside out, not through legislation. And it helps me. And, you know, I think this process of considering our desires when we're caught in a quarrelsome situation It applies to kind of the everyday ones we're talking about right now, but it also applies to the really serious ones. Because the reality is that not all fights and quarrels are kind of at the same level, right? There's some times where we're in a fight, in a quarrelsome situation, and God may show us that we're actually being abusive, That we're actually in a situation where we've allowed the hurting, broken, confused desires deep within us to cause us to be verbally, emotionally abusive to someone we probably love very much. And even if it's a more serious situation like that where we're like, you know what, I'm causing serious harm to other people with the way I conduct myself and treat them there's still hope and healing. Even though that's horribly painful to admit, if that's us, there's hope and there's healing 
that comes when we step back, hopefully with the help of an organization like Domestic Kindness that we have at our church, or I'm sure there's other great ones, that can help us to figure out what war of desires are going on inside of us and how to move towards peace. And as we do that, whether it's a real serious type of quarrel or whether it's kind of the more everyday ones that we all get locked into sometimes where we say bitter, harsh, angry things, as we start to allow Jesus to transform us, transform our desires, we find ourselves walking in greater and greater faithfulness to God. We love God's faithfulness. We sang about it this morning, and we worship God for it, and we read about it, and, and it's the anchor for our souls that God does what he says he will do. He, he keeps his promises to us. He, he said that he would save us, and we never have to wonder if that's true. At the end of a, of a, of a day where we feel like we haven't done the best job of following Christ, we don't have to say, Am I out? Don't even have to ask because he's faithful to keep his promise. He says he'll work all things to our good and we don't have to wonder at the, at the end of a week where our life is falling apart. Is God still working all things to my good? We're going to ask it probably, but the answer is yes, he is because God is faithful. And we could go on and on. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful in so many ways that he says he is in the Bible. But what we sometimes don't realize is that when we find ourselves in a fight or a quarrel that we're contributing to, God dearly longs in that moment for us to be faithful to him like he is to us every single day. We're going to pick up reading in the next verse, which is verse 4. And as we do, listen to how another way we can move towards peace is by being faithful to God. He says this, starting in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's talking about these situations where we fight and quarrel and we're too proud to do anything else other than stand our ground and give him a piece of our mind. And what does he say? He says, you adulterous people. Now, he's not talking about, like, human adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He's saying, you who are loved by the most faithful God imaginable, in that moment where you're locked in this fight and quarrel, he longs for you to be faithful to him by choosing not to be harsh unforgiving and bitter. He longs for us to be faithful to what we said we would do when we started following him, which was what? Turn from our sin and walk 
in obedience to Christ in everything we think, say, and do, right? And we do it because of his faithfulness to us. His faithfulness that uh, began before the foundations of the world, we read in Scripture. He decided he was going to save us before he even made us. And when that promise started coming to fruition, when Jesus showed up in the flesh to make it happen, how do we respond? Well, the people who were there at the time, they finally got their hands on him. His friends abandoned him. And they beat him. They spit on him. They put a a crown of thorns on him, and they hoisted him up on a cross to kill him. And every time we hear the story, something inside of us is like, no, stop. That's the best person who ever lived. That's God. What are you doing? But then something in us says, oh, wait a minute. Wait, I was part of that fallen race. I was one of the people who Scripture says was an enemy of God when he came. And when our our collective hatred and enmity with God reached its fever pitch, and we snuffed out the life of God himself, it was in that exact moment that God was being faithful to the promise that he had made before the foundations of the world to open the door for his enemies like you and me to become his friends, for forgiveness to be made possible. And so is it any wonder then why the Bible says that now he longs for us to be faithful to him when he's gone to such great lengths to be faithful to us? And how do we do that? How can we be faithful to the God of faithfulness? One of the big answers in Scripture, it's by loving other people like he loves us. We were his enemies when he laid down his life for us. And he says, follow me. Love even your enemies. He says, turn the other cheek in those personal squabbles and arguments where you just want to let your anger burn and your, 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 your sharp tongue take over. He says, hold it for a moment and remember my faithfulness to you and let that guide you and lead you in that moment because it's not just between you and that person. It's not just an argument with you and, and the people in that in that group project that you're on, or you and your boss. He says, this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate faithfulness to me. On uh, Father's Day, on Father's Day, this past Father's Day, we all went around the table and we said something kind about my father. It's a tradition. It's a tradition that we uh, do in my household, and one of the things I said to, to my dad on Father's Day was, I said, hey, Dad, thanks so much for being faithful to Mom. I said, I know it's not easy, and yet uh, I appreciate, <laughs> yeah, it's not easy, uh, you know, it's not common even, you might say, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not uh, easy in this world, but I said, Dad, you've been faithful to Mom all these years, and I said, 
And you've set a beautiful example for me and the other men in this family. And by God's grace, we'll follow your example. Thank you, Dad. And it was like this precious uh, moment. Uh, and and as, as much as we admire the faithfulness of a husband to a wife or vice versa, the Bible says that's really, that's really a picture, a, a metaphor that could help us understand the faithfulness of our groom, the Bible says, who is Jesus, to his bride, he says, who is the church. And that's not something that usually crosses our mind when we're in the, the heat of an argument or when we're, when we're trying to decide what to write in this email to this person who we're so angry with or what we're going to say to our boss the next time that we see him. But this pa- passage says he jealously longs for the spirit that he made to live in us. He desires us to walk in faithfulness to him and do in those moments what we said we would do when we turned from sin and accepted his gift of eternal life. And so those moments are an opportunity for faithfulness. And I love, I love that God calls us into faithfulness and doesn't just tell us to submit to him, but which is also true, right? We're supposed to submit to God in all things, including when we're tempted to uh, lash out or get stuck in an argument. But the word um, submit just doesn't sound as friendly or fun. You say, hey, submit to God. When you want to say that harsh word or continue in that argument, no, 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 submit to God. It kind of sounds like you're not taking into consideration what I want to do. Like, I don't care what you want to do. I don't care what you're thinking or feeling. Do what God says. Just obey. And there's something inside of me that kind of feels like, well, well, you're telling me to be like this mindless robot who just does what I'm told, and I want to be free. I want to be free to do what I want to do. And sometimes, in a difficult situation, it feels like the only way I can really be true to myself is to just kind of give someone a piece of my mind. It seems like sometimes the only way I can, I can, I can be real is if I just tell my brother what I'm thinking or tell the group members what I think they should do. Because uh, we love freedom. We love this idea of freedom. I think the reason this idea of submitting to God can even be particularly hard for for some of us is if you're like me, you kind of grew up uh, saluting and pledging allegiance to a country that in part said for liberty, right? For freedom. And not that the country has always lived that out, but that idea is so precious to us. That idea of doing what we feel like we want to do is so important. And yet, what's helpful to remember when we, when we find ourselves in these tense situations where we just want to be ourselves is remembering that while freedom is wonderful, there's some types of freedom that are actually slavery. And the Bible says that when you decide to sin, you're actually acting like you're enslaved by sin. You're actually actually saying, I want to sin so badly that I just can't say no. I've got to do it. And in that sense, 
You're sort of living like someone in that moment at least who's dominated by sin, who doesn't get to decide which type of, of, of godly action they take, but who is required to do what, dare I say, the devil would like you to do. And when we do that, when we submit to those desires and in a sense are enslaved to, not enslaved in the moment, but live like we're enslaved, you know it puts a smile on the devil's face because we're marching according to the drum that he has in mind for our world. We're going we're gonna to pick up reading in verse 7. And as we pick up reading in verse 7, listen to how we, can see, how we see that another way we can move towards peace is by submitting to God. He says this in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He says, hey, submit to God, which doesn't sound very fun. But then he says, and the devil will flee from you. You're like, what? You mean that it's not just about me being free to do what I want to do, but I'm actually living like I'm still enslaved to sin and to the master of sin and accomplishing his will in this world? And guess what? We don't have to live like we're enslaved to sin because Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin in our lives, to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we could do what he wants to do. And so I think when we think of submitting to God in the context of these quarrels and these arguments that are so easy for us to get locked into, it's helpful to remember that, yeah, you're free to just say what you want in that moment, to just choose to be yourself if that's how you think of it when you say those hurtful words. But just know this, that in that moment, you're allowing into your life everything that is to blame for the death, disease, murder, and hatred in our world. And the more you do that, the more its presence is in your life and starts to affect those around you. And the only way to stop living like you're a slave to it, to stop choosing it because it seems like you have no other choice, is to submit to what God wants you to do in that situation. Only true freedom comes in submission to God because only when we submit ourselves to God are we free to say no to the sin that enslaves. And or like God created us to be than at any other time. Not people dominated by hatred and bitterness and, and, and hurtful comments and words, but people free to bring life 
and healing and joy to the world. I read this uh, book about an actor. It was his autobiography about this famous actor who, who met the Lord. And before he met the Lord, his life was kind of filled with everything you might think that a person could want in the world. He had fame. He had fortune. He had as many relationships with women as he could possibly fathom. And of course, like often is the case in those stories, he also had a profound sense of emptiness and directionlessness. And in time, the Lord led him to, to Jesus to put his faith in God and, and turn his life over to God. And what kind of follows in the rest of the book is him basically explaining the difficult, slow, painful process of learning to submit to God instead of these sinful desires that he'd become totally enslaved to over the course of his life. And I love it because he's so honest in the book, and a lot of it has to do with learning how to treat people better and not the way he'd grown accustomed to treating them. And he shares about how, like, they're about to go into church, him and his wife, and just before they get out of the car and they go into church, they have this horrible, bitter argument. And he goes in and he just, like, sits there, like, fuming in the church because he's still trying to figure it out. He's still trying to learn how to submit to God and be free from the anger and wrath and quarrels that come so easy and so naturally to us. I learned a little bit about that when I was on that jury that I mentioned to you. So the longer we, we argued with each other in that jury room and quarreled and tried to make the other side look foolish, the more both sides uh, just dug their heels in. Six on this side, six on this side, no verdict in sight. But what I didn't tell you was that there was one mature woman in that group of the 12 of us who never engaged in the, in the quarreling, who never, who never belittled the people on the other side or, or, or anything like that. This, uh, this mature woman, she would sometimes, uh, in her quiet voice, at, she would sometimes uh, disagree with me, even though she was on my side of the argument and say, no, no, I don't think that's right, or someone else on the team. And I was like, whose side are you on in this debate? What are you doing? And other times she would um, ask questions of the other side to clarify what they were saying in this, in this gentle, quiet voice, and they would answer her questions, and that's all she'd do. She'd just ask questions. And then other times she would say to them when they said something, you know, if I could show you right here in the law how what you're saying isn't applicable to this case, would you be willing to change your mind? And then she'd push the, the, the papers across the table for them to look at. And as the days dragged on, something miraculous happened. One by one, the six people on the other side who disagreed with us started changing their votes and joining us in the verdict. And eventually, we had a unanimous decision, not guilty. And as each person changed their votes, they would glare over at me and some of the other people. Then they would look at this gentle woman and they would say, I want you to know I'm only changing my vote because of you. <laughs> I didn't care. We were getting the right conclusion and we were getting out of there. 
So we wrapped up the case, and I went home, and I couldn't wait to tell my dad all about it. I was like, Dad, there was this one older woman, and she was like an angel, and she got every single person to switch their votes. And Dad, at the end, I just wanted to go up to her and just kiss her right on her cheek. And then my dad said something that really stuck with me. He said, oh, wow, I wonder if she's a Christian. And I was like, oh, because I was a Christian. But I was every bit involved in the bitter back and forth as anybody else in that room. And even though that's so easy and so common for us to find ourselves in those bitter quarrels and fights, there's something inside of each of us that knows that God has called us to do what we can to move those types of situations towards peace. He's given us peace with him, and he calls us to bring, pre, to bring peace to our relationships with other people. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for faithfully leading us through this life. I know at times, God, it just seems like we've got it all together. We figured out how to follow you and walk with you, and it's so good and fun, and then sometimes, bam, we run into a wall. We run into a situation, Lord, where we don't even recognize ourselves because there's areas of our lives that you haven't, you haven't taught us yet how to walk more fully with you. And so, God, I just thank you for your consistent presence in our lives, for your faithfulness to continue leading us from one season to the next, from the high to the low, and God, never leaving us or forsaking us because you keep your promise to save us. And God, as we celebrate that sweet knowledge of you, the friendship that you make possible through the cross right now and your resurrection, we just pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.